I do want to just take a moment and uh, to let you know that the National Day of Prayer is this Thursday, so we will have our church here open. Uh, we're going to keep it open all day for you from 9 to 4. We want to encourage you to come in here. This altar will be open to you. You can spend that time in prayer to God. It's our National Day of Prayer. Even though we're supposed to be praying all the time, let's make a special emphasis to pray for our nation, our country, and uh, we believe that God's will will take place. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Also, for a moment here, I want us to uh, spend a moment of prayer for Carol Sue Winder, who's in the stages of, uh, I believe it was kidney failure and and, and some heart issue there. And uh, Carol Sue's one of us, right? You know, we love her. She's family, and we want to lift her up. So let's pray. Father... We just come to you right now, God, and we lift up Carol Sue to you. Wherever she may be in this moment, Lord, we know how powerful you are. And, God, that you can send your angels even now, Lord, to bring comfort to her. But, God, not only that, Lord, we also recognize you as the healer. We recognize you, Father, as the great physician. And we ask right now, we proclaim through faith and believing, Lord, that you can heal. And if it be your will, Lord, we ask that you would do just that, God. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be with the family, God, and and keep them strong, Lord. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And amen. So, this week I've been really torn. And uh, what exactly the message was that I was going to, to uh, speak to you today. And usually I've, I've got a really good game plan. All right? Usually I've got a really good layout. And I know where I'm going, when I'm going, and what I'm going to hit. And this week, I have struggled with that. For several weeks, I believe that God has been stirring inside of me this topic of awakening. And I believe that sometimes, as the church and as believers, we can be comfortable with where we are when it comes to our relationship with God or the expectations that we have of him, or the expectations that we may have of ourselves. But I don't feel that we should be comfortable right now. I feel that in all of us that there may be a stirring that's been going on for some time. But if you're like me, at moments, when that stirring takes place, we kind of push it to the side because sometimes it interrupts the thoughts and the schedules and the know-how and the expectations that we may have, not really affecting us spiritually in our relationship with God, but what we're doing is is we're holding back the power and the progress of which what God can do in your life. So I have this title called Awakening, but truly my title this morning would be more so called Awakening the Sleeping Giant inside of you because I believe this morning as I look into this crowd and I see men and women of of all age groups I see giants I I see spiritual giants of individuals who are wanting and God is wanting to use you to overcome and to conquer different deficits or difficulties trials different things or 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 God's got plans for your life That with your physical eye, you look at that looks so impossible, but the giant inside of you, the very thing that God is stirring and trying to develop, can accomplish. Now, my scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. And 
you're there, if you can, turn there. You'll see it up on the screens or go to your version uh, event tab there. That would be fine. But this is, this is the part that I want to point out. It says, this is, this is why it is said. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now, you know, in my house, I have, I have uh, three, three kids. One's 19. He's easy. He's in the bed. I don't have to send him. Does it on his own. All right? Then I got a two-year-old. His name is Caden. And he's great, which I should say that, right? They're all great. But he used to be my calm one. He used to be the good kid in the family. The one that doesn't give me a problem. The one that doesn't stir things up. You know, bedtime, I mean, we all like to sleep, right? Think about that. I love to sleep. But once I wake up, it's over. I don't want to sleep no more. But getting to sleep is wonderful. I'm all about bedtime at night because everybody else is in bed. It's quiet. It's silent. It's it's a relaxing moment. But when I put that two-year-old to bed, hold on, when my wife puts the two-year-old to bed, it's chaotic anymore. He's running around. He's running around the, the table. No nap, no nap, no nap. You know, he's trying to get away from us. And I'm sitting there thinking, you truly don't know how blessed you are. You get to go to bed early, you know. And then we have the five-year-old, Carter, who I pick on a lot. I think because he's more like me. That's what people tell me anyway, all right? But it's time for him to go to bed, and oh, my goodness, it is a catastrophe at night in our house. I mean, he's, you know, he's all about Nerf guns. Okay, and fire trucks and stuff. And so he gets on his little tablet and at nighttime, his quiet time, and he's, he's looking at pictures of these things or videos. And when I have to say, Carter, it's time to put that away. You need to go to the bathroom now, and then we're going to bed. And it's just like chaotic. No, I don't want to do that, you know. And he's putting the brakes on just as hard as he can. And so this week I've been thinking to myself about them too. And, and how they react to when it's time to go to bed. And it's not good. They don't like it. And then I try to relate that to my life in a spiritual matter. Well, first of all, in the physical form, I'm ready to go to bed at night. I love sleep. Who likes sleep? All right? All right, good. I like sleep. It's relaxing. It's great. Got to have it. All right? But... My little guys don't. They don't understand that they need it. But as I was thinking about this topic, and I was trying to relate them with this, it kind of hit me. Sometimes spiritually, we need to have the mentality of that two-year-old and five-year-old and understanding that there's more to life than, than going to sleep, but there's greater things ahead and there's more things out there. But we are content with laying low sometimes and going into that unconscious spiritually moment, mind, and saying, God, I don't want to do anything. Rather, I just want to be comfortable where I am rather than moving forward into the position into where you want me to go to. 
And so we take our physical sleep and we match it with our spiritual sleep and we almost become dead to God in the move of his Holy Spirit. You see, that is where we have a difficult problem. And we have to almost come to a place where we must train ourselves to say, God, I don't want to fall asleep spiritually on you, but I want you to continue to move and to work in my life. You've created a stirring inside of me. You see, we understand Jeremiah 29, 11. God's got plans. It's not a scripture on here, but you understand that scripture. I've got plans. I've got hopes. I've got a dream for you. And that is what God has for every one of our lives. But when we come into a place where we become spiritually asleep when it comes to the movement of God and his spirit, we're not allowing God to move. Instead, we're blocking him off saying, I know what's better for me and I've got this under control. Uh, I think it was 1998 and I was a student at East Coast Bible College in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I had not preached my first message yet. I was a Christian education major with a minor in biblical studies. And I was going through all my chapels, going to all of my classes, doing all my studies, you know, getting by. <laughs> and uh, I was part of a group, and some of you understand this because I've said this before, called PFCs, Pioneers for Christ. And we would go out to different churches and we would help those churches establish to grow. And the first church that we had ever went to was in Bessemer City, North Carolina, which was about 20 minutes from Charlotte, on the outskirts of, outskirts of Charlotte. And I guess you could say it was a suburb, but it wasn't a very nice place. It was a very hard place. It, was a, it, was, it, was a, it wasn't in the city, but it was a more of an inner city look to it, a mentality. And I recall one, we went there to, to do a, 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 what we called an invasion, where we would go and we would help that church. And many of us, we went, and we didn't stop going. We kept going to that church even afterwards. Now, I also attended another church called Central. Um, but the church that I was assigned to, to, to help out was this church called Bessemer City. So I would go there many times to the church and try to help in any way that I could. And the pastor was a woman. Her name was Diane Collins, and she was great. She's since passed away. And... Um, I would go every Sunday, every, you know, Wednesdays. I would sit under her teachings and I would listen to her. And she was a great, powerful speaker. But the whole time, there was a calling in my life that I was supposed to do more than just be a student of his word, just to be, do more than just be, you know, what I was doing in that moment. You know, in my mind, I was like, well, I've got to go through college before I'm going to step out and really get into the ministry aspect of it. Um, but God had another plan. And I knew that, because of the calling on my life that God was doing something, he would begin to stir something within my spirit. And uh, one, one Wednesday, I was sitting in, in, under her teaching in the sanctuary, and the church had really grown at this point. I mean, it really became a large church, and it was really flourishing. And in the middle of her message, she stopped right beside me, and she looked right down at me and said, in two weeks, you are going to preach and you're going to awaken that sleeping giant inside of you. I will never forget that story because since then, I've preached over 400 sermons from that one moment. See, inwardly, I didn't feel that I was at the place where I was supposed to be. 
I didn't feel like I was equipped or ready. But she called me out in that moment. See, up to that moment, I was kind of, you know, shying away and, and not allowing myself to be known or seen as a person who would communicate God's message, even though I was going there for that. I was just trying to get my, my education out of the way. You know, I had my own plan. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I remember that first message. I don't know if I've, I've said this. Maybe some of you may have had. If so, just sit there and listen anyway. And uh, I was scared, scared to death. I didn't know what I was going to preach on hardly. You know, I have all this knowledge in my head, but I didn't know how to put it together and throw it out through my mouth. And I went up there that, that two weeks ago that Sunday, and I gave a message. It was on a Sunday night, and I gave a message, and I was scared. I think it took me 10 minutes and I gave an altar call. It wasn't a good message. It wasn't. And there was this guy about halfway through the, through the back. You guys are think this is going to go super spiritual. It doesn't get worse. There's this guy about halfway back, stands up. I'll never forget him. He was, he was a bald-headed guy. He was an elderly gentleman. And he had a gray sweatsuit on. And he had a fanny pack. Every time I see a fanny pack, I have a nightmare. <laughs> if you wear a fanny pack, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your family that's around you, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Not really, but kind of. All right? So, you know, he wore a fanny pack, and he stood up. It was dead silent. And he stood up. And he says, church, and he had this real southern draw accent. I can't do it, but you can just kind of picture it. He stands up and says, church, I think we just need to stretch our hands forward and pray for Brother Kevin and let him know his message was not a failure this evening. <laughs> I mean, really, can you imagine how I felt at that time? I looked at the pastor and I said, I'm done. And I walked right off, you know, and... and you know, in my mind, I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, what a disaster. And I began to question, God, was this really the right time? But then as I look back on that, I probably always would have questioned God whenever the time was. Was that really the right time? You see, sometimes when God stirs inside of us, and when we act, it's not always the way you thought it was going to unfold. Sometimes, as I said before, we have setbacks even when we're being obedient to what God is doing or what God is saying to us or what God wants us to do. But as I've said before, those setbacks also become what a setup for later on. You see, I see that moment. In 1998, when I stood there before that church, and, and I see that guy a lot in my mind. I really do. You know, I have no idea who he is, but he's etched forever right here. But that moment was, was very important for me in fulfilling the call of God in my life. Now, I'm fulfilling, but I haven't fulfilled yet. I don't believe that I will ever get to the place where I have fulfilled but I will be in the process of fulfilling God's call and direction 
for my life just as the same as you in your life. I don't believe that you will ever truly fulfill the call for your life, but I believe you will allow yourself and accept the process of fulfilling that which God has called you to do. Now, I want us to take a look this morning through Scripture. And first we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3. See, God's not okay with where you are right now. Understand that. Before we go any further into these scriptures to kind of direct us in the route that we're going to go this morning, God's not truly okay with where you are. God's happy with you if you're living that Christ-like life, if you've accepted his son as your savior. All right? All right, so let's go to Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Time out for a second. Right there. We're going to pause. Could you imagine in that moment being Moses? That's as this, this plant were to catch on fire right before you. No one else is around. And it just, boom. I would become extremely intrigued at that moment. I don't know about you. That would grab my attention. That's one of those God signs right there. Okay. Let's move on to verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Stop right there for a second. When we see fire, we see something, it's burning, it's burning up, it's turning to ash. But as Moses is looking in that moment at that bush, it's not. It's just fire. Think about that for a moment. How powerful that moment must have been for Moses. All right, let's move on. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. Wait a minute. Time out. That would have been strange. We have a bush. It's burning. But it's not becoming consumed. And it's talking to me. Moses was thinking, what, what did I have to drink earlier? What did I consume myself full of in order to see this happening before my eyes? That, that, but he doesn't. Okay, he got spiritual. He says, here I Am. All right, move on. It says, do not come any closer, God said, but take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Pause for a moment. Think about that. You see, you know, we hear the song, we are standing on holy ground. You know, there's angels all around. And what are we doing? We're praising Jesus now. We understand that song. We, we, we've heard this scripture many times, okay? We've seen it. We've, we, we know this story. But what I wanted to point out to you in this moment is that when God spoke to Moses, he said, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off. That right there is just a symbolism of respect in that moment. God is teaching Moses something here. God is teaching us something here. He's saying, I am here with you, 
And what you need to do right now is take off your sandals because where you are, you are on holy ground. Now, I, I, I try to take everything that I read in the Bible and parallel it to my life or to your life. And the only thing that I could come up with in this moment is that any time that God begins to speak to you and I, whether you're here in church, whether you are at home, whether you are at work, whether you are with your family out and about, wherever you may be, if God begins to stir and deal with you inside of your spirit, you need to recognize that in that moment, you are standing in holy ground. Moving on, verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, mo at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moving on. Jumping a few verses to verse 9. And now the cry of Israelites has reached me, God speaking. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So he says, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now what, what you need to understand here about Moses, nothing truly miraculous has really happened up to this point. He knew God, who God was. And he sees a bush that's burning. And it calls him by name. And then it gets crazier. It says, you need to go back to where you came from to go to Pharaoh and bring all my people out. This is one man in this moment. He's probably thinking to himself, there's no way I could do this. There's no way that I can fulfill this. And you're going to see that as we move through a couple of scriptures. There's no way that I can fulfill this. There's no possible way. I'm not equipped. I don't have the resources. I don't have anything at my, in my possession to allow me to do any of this. I don't have the leadership skills. I don't have the following behind me. But yet you want me to go back into the land where, one, I'm in trouble. They don't like me. In fact, they're looking for me. You want me to go back there and to look at the king or Pharaoh and say, oh, by the way, God says you need to let all those people that have built everything that you have that are your servants and you need to let them go. You see, right then, God is creating a stirring inside of Moses. There's an awakening that's trying to happen. There's something that's trying to transform here there's something that's on the verge of being birthed all right let's move on but Moses said to God I love this who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Israelites out of Egypt moving to verse 12 and God said I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you will worship God you will worship God on this mountain. Now, you know, we're, we're going to move on in that story here in just a moment. But in my physical mind, I have a hard time processing this. Spiritually, I'm able to process it because I've heard it. I've heard it taught. I've heard it spoken and preached about. But when I try to put my... Self in that role, 
I can't help but think to myself, how would have I reacted in that moment? You see, the advantage that I have that Moses doesn't have is that I can read all throughout Scripture time and time and time and time and time again where God has done the miraculous. I can read through Scripture where God has, has healed people and, and has delivered people. and has, I see all throughout the Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, where, where God, as he was bringing those people out and, and, and as they were faced with opposition, that God helped them to defeat them. But yet in my own mind, I would probably retaliate spiritually in some way and say, God, I can't do this. I can't fulfill what you're asking me to do because it is too large or it is too scary. It is too problematic. I don't have the resources available to accomplish these things. But yet Moses didn't have the opportunity that you and I have had. Let's go to um, Exodus chapter 4 starting at verse 1. Moses answering God, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And then go to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow at speech and at tongue. Verse 11. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? This is where you need to highlight. This is where you need to, the, 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 the tables turn, begin to turn right here. He says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I'm going to stop one moment. What has God been stirring inside of you for you to do or to step out in and to accomplish? But yet you have taken on the role spiritually being defeated before you even tried or stepped out or even given God an opportunity to do the miraculous through you. You need to be reminded who has given human beings their mouths. You need to be reminded who makes the deaf, or excuse me, who makes deaf or mute. We need to be reminded who gives them sight or makes them blind. And then ask the question, is it not the Lord? When we begin to doubt the stirring that's happening, you see, I think, and some of you may look at me as if I'm completely insane, and that's fine. Because, see, I know what God has stirred inside of me. And I believe and I feel what God is stirring within this church is far greater than where you have ever been or this church has ever been or you have ever been personally. You see, many are believing and have been waiting for this church to begin to stir and to begin to move in the prophetic and to move in the supernatural. But let me under, let you understand something. Before God can do that within us, he needs to do it in you. Amen. God is looking at you. 
You see, we are mere individuals that are making the church up. But if we feel that God can't move, if we feel that God isn't all-powerful and all-knowing and all-majestic, and if we feel defeated continually all the time and we're acting on this and not stepping out in the spirit of faith and understanding the promises that God has given us, how can we ever expect God to take this church to the level of what we all want it to be or what has been prophesied over it to be? We can't. What I find interesting is this. I've, I heard one minister since I've been here make a, a prophetic message about this church, and I believed it. And then I've heard after having conversations with many of you before in the past, or even with pastor, where others have made a prophetic message about this church, that it's going to go and, and to be great and, and, and to be one. And it is right now, but I believe there's more for it. But the only way it can get there first is for you and I to be obedient in our own personal life before it can ever spill over into this organization. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to move on. Uh, verse 12. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Wow. But watch this. This is interesting. First of all, I want to think if God created a burning bush right in front of me and he called my name through it and began to speak to me and said, I'm going to do all of this. But Moses answers, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. We laugh, but that is us. That is us in our own spiritual life. That is us through your daily devotional time, through your daily prayer time. God, I need you to do this. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, but I don't think he's going to do it or that I don't think he can do it. But you see, God is trying to awaken something in you. God is stirring something inside of you. And he's been doing it for some time. You have felt a nudge. You have felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you and talking to you and ministering to you. Giving you ideas that you think you've made up in your own mind. Giving you resolutions that you could do to, 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 to bring relationships back together, but you just drop it. See, God's working. Move on to verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You may not have what it takes physically to fulfill everything that God is calling you to do or what you think. But God is bringing people into your life who have the abilities and who have the talents to help fulfill what God is calling you for you in your life. We see that clearly here with Moses. There was no more excuse. There was nowhere else to go other than we understand what did he do. He did wonderful and miraculous things, but it didn't happen until he came to the point 
where he accepted what God was stirring up in his life. You see, there's another passage of scripture in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'll give you a minute just to get over there real quick. Starting with verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. Verse 2. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could not that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lays down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Verse 7 says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, a third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. At this point, I would be extremely frustrated if I were both parties. First time you wake me up, God, you know, I didn't know it was God if, I, if that were the case. I'd be like, all right, you know, whatever. I'm hearing things. I've dreamt it. The second time I know I heard it, I think the old man's going crazy. All right. The third time I heard it, and again he says, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized, no, the Lord was calling the boy. So verse 9 says, so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Time out. Some of us, God has been speaking. He's been speaking to your life, to your heart, to your soul, to your mind. And you've been at times like Eli, and you've, or excuse me, like Samuel, and you've woken up and you've... But the result wasn't there. It wasn't what you were expecting, so you just go back. In this moment, Eli, in his wisdom, in his direction, tells Samuel, he says, look. When he calls again, said, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. Your servant is listening. The problem sometimes is we're not listening. We see with our eye the struggle, the impossibility, the uneasiness. We see with our eye what doesn't look appealing to us. So we never give an opportunity for God to speak so we can listen. Instead, we cast a quick judgment on what God's calling to us and say, well, that's too large for me. I can't accomplish that. And I'm sorry, God, I'm not going to step out. 
goes on to say, So Eli told Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went, he lay down in his place. Verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then, this is where it all began. This is where this prophet began. This is where the miraculous began. This is where the impossibility started. This is where it all stemmed from. Speak, for your servant is listening. Maybe you're not feeling what I'm feeling on that. But inside of me, I'm saying, God, speak. For right now, your servant is listening. I know, Lord, that you're bringing an awakening. You want to awaken the sleeping giants that's inside of us. And at the first sign of opposition, we want to pull back and say, that must not have been God. That must not be a part of his plan. That must not be part of his will. See, I could have said that that day. And I'm not trying to, to blow my own trumpet here. But I could have said that that day when that gentleman stood up. And I could have just ran completely and said, I'm not doing this anymore. But I trusted in what God called me to do. We see Samuel here. He trusted in God. We see Moses he trusted in God. We'll see in another uh, a prophet by the name of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. This is what the word tells us. This was where the calling happened for his life. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Time out. Pause. That right there gets me excited. Because at the very words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In those few words, in that moment, we can see, I can see spiritually in my life when I'm proclaiming how holy God is, the thresholds in my life begin to shake. The doorposts in my life begin to shake. And God is allowed to bring in the smoke of his glory into my life. And begin to move. Now let's, let me finish. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. Aren't we all? For I am a man of unclean lips. Aren't we all? And live among a people of unclean lips. Aren't we all? And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This is the best. Then one of the serf, serf, seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Think about that. You see, every moment that God begins to stir with inside of you, that is, those are his words. Whom shall I send? 
who will go for us. And this is what the prophet says. This is where it all began. This is where it started. This is what he said. Here I am. Send me. I want you to stand up with me this morning. See, yeah, we can bring a message that's going to have three points and a couple of wonderful illustrations that are going to just really hit home. And then there's those times where God wants us to see the scripture deep into the scripture through the examples of how men and women just like you, individuals of humanity just like you and I, who struggle with doubt and fear, and looked at themselves and said, I'm not adequate. I can't do what you are stirring in me. I can't, I can't do these things, God. But yet show us where they were able to make a turnaround and were able to say those words, here I am, send me. This morning, I want to ask you this question is, what has God been stirring in your life? You know, we all hear sometimes, that, that voice in our ear, our spirit, in your gut. And it's like a projection that God puts in our mind and we can see ourselves doing the unimaginable, the unpredictable, the, the impossible. And we see that vision or that glimpse in our mind and we think, wow, that is great. But God, I can't do that. God didn't call me. You didn't call me, God, to do that. God, God, you didn't equip me to do that. The Bible is full of people who were never equipped. The Bible is full of people who thought they were never called. But the Bible is also full of those same people who finally said, God, here I am. Send me. The Bible is full of people like you and I who said, you know what, I've got to the place now where I need more of you and less of me. I've seen my own way of doing things and it's not accomplishing the goals that you have placed in front of me. So God, I need to get to the spot where I'm gonna say, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I think I can or cannot do. God, if you called Moses to do what he did, then you have called me to do what you want me to do. God, we see the prophets in the Old Testament of how you called and called and called and called. We see with Isaiah where he said, look, I'm amongst the people of unclean lips. Myself, I'm an individual of unclean lips. But yet just a few verses later, he says, but God, I accept your call. Here I am. Send me. So what has God been calling you to do that you've not stepped out in yet to fulfill. Think about that. What, what has God been stirring up inside of you? What has he been speaking to you about? Maybe a ministry, maybe a, a life group, 
Maybe you have a talent and ability that you can use, but you've not been giving it to him to use. What has God been calling you to do? You see, oftentimes we think that the pastor is always the only one called or the musicians or the worship teams. Every one of you in this room have been called for something. God has designed you and planned you articulately to fulfill a specific purpose. Maybe you're still asking God, what is that purpose? But while you're asking, you say, what is that purpose? But here I am, Lord, regardless, send me. Maybe you've known what that purpose was and and maybe you've pushed it aside so many times that you think, God, there's no way that you're gonna allow me to step out and fulfill it now. Look at everything that I've done wrong. Look at everything, Lord, that I've pushed and, and, and pushed ahead of you. Look at the lifestyle that I've lived, the things that I've done that when you look at, you're not excited about for me in my life. But yet God's still waiting for you just to say one thing. Here I am. Send me. Or maybe you're an individual today who you've been fighting this. You've not pushed it away, but you've kept it there. And it almost makes you sick because you think to yourself, God, there's no way I can do this. You've not called me. Surely, Lord, there's, better, there's a better person than me. I'm not, I, I don't have the talent, God. I don't have the ability, but yet you've held on to it because it intrigues you. There's something about it because you're trying to be obedient to God, but yet you've not said, God, here I am, send me. I'm gonna say a simple prayer here for a moment, but we're not done. But I want every head bowed, every eye closed. God, you know, you know, God, who's fighting this right now. Lord, I come against every doubt and fear that's going through the minds of your people right now. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I proclaim freedom right now. I demand freedom in this room spiritually in every mind, in every heart, in every soul. Today is not the day, Lord, that people will reject your call. But today, God, is the day that your church will accept the call that you have given for every single life. So Lord, I come before you boldly as your messenger. And I ask for freedom in this room. I ask for all doubt to be gone. All fear to be squashed. So God, in Jesus' name, I proclaim that. So, my invitation is this.